0: Turn with me to Ruth, chapter 2, and verse 1. Ruth 2, 1. And uh, Jesus told a story uh, about the Good Samaritan and about how uh, this man had had been uh, robbed and beaten. Uh, by thieves, and the the priest passed by, and the Levite passed by, and finally the Samaritan, who was supposed to hate this man, stops, uh, bends over, uh, and cares for him, and and puts him on his donkey, takes him to a a, a place where he can get a good night's sleep, and uh, puts salve on his wounds, and I'm willing to bet that that man was happy that Samaritan came along. (laughs) You ever had somebody come along in a time of need? I remember one time I ran out of gas, and I was uh, by the side of the road, and some people came along. It's kind of out in a in a place where, kind of out in the country. I'd had a good walk if I'd had to walk somewhere, and some people came and they stopped and asked me if I needed a ride, and and uh, and they gave me a ride and helped me get some gas. And uh, isn't it great that we have people that intervene in times when we need it? Uh, God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, intervened in the greatest way that anyone has ever intervened. Jesus became a man, and he went to a cross and paid the price for sin and rose again. And through his work of intervention, those of us who have trusted in him, our lives have never been the same. Uh, and each of us needs his work in our lives, and he continues to intervene and uh, meet those needs in our lives uh, Ruth and Naomi were widows in a time where that was a, a very serious situation. Um, it was a time, most widows had no voice in the community. They were, they were helpless. They were, um, you know, because of the law in Israel of being able to glean, uh, they could eke out some food. But uh, they were pretty much at the mercy of anyone who wanted to take advantage of them. But God sent someone... Uh, to intervene on their behalf and to provide in their situation. And there's a man by the name of Boaz. Boaz is not only a historical figure who helped out Ruth and Naomi, but he's also a picture or a pattern or a type of Jesus Christ, that great one that God would send to intervene on our behalf. And uh, in some of the characteristics of Boaz, we see the character... Of Christ. And so uh, I want to just look and kind of hone in on that tonight and focus on some things we see about the greatness of our Redeemer. Uh, and as we look at these things, we, I think our response is to uh, be grateful and to worship God uh, for sending us somebody like Jesus. And uh, so look with me at verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz. He was a prominent man of noble character from Malimelech's family. Then flip over to verse 20. We're not going to get into the meat of the chapter here today, but look at verse 20. Uh, the latter part of verse 20 says, He is one of our family redeemers or kinsman redeemers. And that word there, the redeemer, the one who, who pays the price, the one who rescues, the one who delivers um, the kinsman redeemer. If you if you got uh, to where you were uh, bankrupt, you had no way of of. Uh, they didn't have actual bankruptcy law, so if you couldn't pay your bills, you either uh, were were put in jail indefinitely, or you could sell yourself as a slave for a number of years to get the money that you needed to pay off your debts. Uh, and uh, but but the uh, kinsman redeemer was one who would come. And if he had the resources to do so, and often buy you back and say, oh, I'm going to pay off his debt and, uh, so that he can go free. What a great picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He was an avenger. Uh, someone who, if, if you had somebody killed in your family, this was a pretty efficient way of dealing with somebody. If they murdered, in, if they could show that the murder was intentional, uh, somebody from the family would go after him. Now, wouldn't that be efficient? Uh, you know, introduced him to Smith and Wesson, right? And so uh, uh, that's, that was the law of the land. And so uh, uh, the kinsman redeemer was somebody who was an avenger, somebody who cared and stood up for the family. Um, this was the picture that we have of Jesus Christ. And um, the title of my message is The Greatness of Our Redeemer. Uh, how is Jesus' greatness shown in Boaz? Well, I'm going to hone in on one verse here, verse 1, and we're going to talk about the greatness of our Redeemer. How is his greatness shown? Well, the first thing I want you to see is that he is mighty. Now, my translation says he was a prominent man, but the Hebrew word is the word gibor. It was a word used of a warrior, somebody who was mighty in battle. Uh, Sometimes it was used of strength in general, but... uh, What a great picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can stand against His power. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, uh, You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane at the time they are coming to to get Him and take Him to the cross? And and John records that he, he said, I am, and they fall back. He speaks the name, and of course they're too spiritually dull to recognize what's going on. But they actually fall back. And it happens twice. Um, that's the power Jesus had. Jesus didn't have to go with them. If he'd have wanted to, he could have been just like Elijah, Elisha. He said, if I'm a prophet, let fire fall on you. you know, Three times he, a company of uh, soldiers was uh, burned up at the command of Elisha. Uh, Jesus could have done that same thing. Now he said, I could have called 10,000 angels to come. I didn't even have to fight the battle myself. That's the power that Jesus has, the might that Jesus has. But the greatest place you see his might is when, after three days in the grave, he rose up. And came out of that tomb and was seen by over 500 witnesses. What a, what a powerful Savior we have. Aren't you glad that when you go through trials, when you're at the end of yourself, when you have no resource, He is your resource. He is the mighty, awesome Savior. And there's nothing that you can face that He can't handle. He has the power to do it. Um, Jesus uh, is able to deal with our spiritual issues. Uh, You've got some spiritual issue. Maybe it's a sin habit that you've got. Jesus has the power to set you free. Uh, Maybe you have an emotional issue that you've dealt with. Uh, Jesus has the power to set you free. Um, Whatever that issue may be, uh, a physical issue, obviously, Jesus has the power to set you free. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Isn't that amazing? That's a power that our Savior has. We lift up people to the Lord in prayer, God can heal them. And uh, what a wonderful thing to know that He has that power. And not only does He have that power, but that He willingly laid Himself down for us. That's our Savior. He is the, the uh, rescuer, uh, the redeemer, the kinsman redeemer extraordinaire. He's, he has all power, He's the mighty warrior. This actually was a, a word used to describe Gideon when he was mighty in battle. Jesus is also the Lord of hosts. You see that in the, if you read the King James or uh, the Lord of hosts or, or the Lord of God's armies. All the armies of heaven respond to Jesus' command. That's his power. Um, Jesus is not intimidated by the military might of any kingdom on this earth. He has all power. Uh, it's interesting that at different points of history, when different kingdoms rose and fell, uh, as they would turn away from God, and oftentimes God would send prophets to them. And he'd say, "Listen, listen, you need to repent. If not, you're going to be destroyed. Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. You remember that. And God delivered them, spared them. Later on, though, they're destroyed because they would not turn to God. That's the power that God has. It doesn't matter what the military might is. It's true of America too. It doesn't matter what our military might is. We turn away from God and God removes his hand of blessing. There's nothing that can deliver us. It's true if God be for us, who can be against us? But if God be against us, who can be for us? That's the power that Jesus has. But guess what? You're God's child. God's for you. He's for you. (laughs) I love that verse in Romans chapter 5. Uh, he says, um, for if when we were God's enemies, that is why we were lost. If we were God's enemies. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? He has adopted us into his family. How much more is he for us in this life? Isn't that a wonderful thing? There's a song I, I was uh, listening to uh, several weeks back. It's, it's, God is fighting for us. Have you ever thought about that? God is the mighty Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, is fighting on our behalf. The demons of hell can't stand against Him. They cower at His name. That's the Savior we serve. Trust Him. In the middle, go to Him with your needs. Go to Him with your your burdens and your concerns, and know that no matter who you are, you can be like Ruth and Naomi. You can be somebody that is that doesn't have social position. It doesn't matter. Christ loves us as his people, and he will act on our behalf as we come to him in faith for our good. So, the first thing we see in Boaz is that he is mighty, and and he's a picture of Jesus, and Jesus' perfect power and might. So, Jesus is mighty. Secondly, Jesus is wealthy. Now, my my translation says noble character. It's the Hebrew word. It kind of sounds like you're coughing something up, but it's heil. You know, and, uh, and I don't know if I said that right, but it's something like that. Uh, basically, it's a, it, it has a, a wide uh, range of meanings. It can mean powerful. Uh, it can mean a person of noble character. But a lot of times it's associated with wealth. And I, I looked at those, these two words and distinguishing these two words. Uh, that's something that Boaz was. He was wealthy. He had a lot of financial resources. He, he had people working for him. He was able to be generous with people who were poor. Um, and, and, and so he was somebody that was wealthy. Did you know Christ is wealthy? Uh, the Bible says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, I, I read this story uh, a year or two ago. And uh, uh, the, this man that was on the board of Dallas Theological Seminary... Uh, they were in a financial crisis, and and they were praying one day, and he said, "Lord, the Bible says you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Could you sell a few of us, few of them, and send us the money?" And uh, uh, a day or two later, he gets a message uh, from this man, and he says, "Here's this check, and it was a check for the full amount that they needed." And he said, "God laid it on my heart. He says I'm a cattleman. God laid it on my heart to sell my cattle." And send you this money. Can I tell you. Jesus has all the resources that we need. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, don't you love that story. Uh, when they're, they're needing to pay the tax. And God. Uh, Jesus tells Peter. Go, go fishing Peter. That's a good, good scripture for fishermen. You have scriptural basis for going fishing right. Uh, he tells Peter to go fish. And he says the first fish you catch. There'll be a coin in that fish's mouth and then take it and pay the tax. i tell you what, that's wealth when you can tell the fish to bring you money. That's wealth. Jesus has all the the financial resources that we need. Uh, So we can ask him for those things and, and he will give us what we need. The Bible says, my God, and my God, because the people that were generous in the book of Philippians. He says, and my God will supply all your need according to his riches In glory in Christ Jesus. But not only is it financial wealth. He's got wealth. The wealth of wisdom. The wealth of understanding. um, Spiritual wealth that he can give us in a relationship with him. He is the source of all these things. So are you feeling kind of spiritually bankrupt? Go to the divine heavenly bank of Jesus Christ and make a withdrawal. Because he has all the resources that you need. And uh, if if you're in need financially, go to him in prayer. Uh, And and as you give in faith what he tells you to give and you uh, trust him to supply your needs, he is is willing and ready uh, to supply your needs. So, uh, Jesus is mighty. Secondly, he's wealthy. Thirdly, he is the seed. Now, I'll t- explain what I mean by that here in a moment. But he says in verse 1 that he was, this was a man who was a relative in Elimelech's family. Remember Elimelech, he's the, the husband of Naomi who died in chapter 1. Um, they're of the tribe of Judah. Now, if you know much about Israelite history, you know that Judah was the royal tribe. From Judah there would be a ruler that would come. Now, if you go rewind the tape a few chapters in Genesis, you go back to Abraham, and God tells Abraham, Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed in your seed, in your descendant. Then if you rewind the tape a little farther back to Genesis, when Adam and Eve have sinned, and God says to the woman, uh, this, the serpent will strike your heel, but your seed will crush his head. So, uh, this seed, throughout biblical history, they're looking for this seed. Now, David hasn't come on the scene yet. David is going to be the next one that God promises to seed, But Jesus is that seed. And so they're looking for somebody, but he's got to be a relative because according to Jewish law, a kinsman redeemer was someone in your family. He was a close relative. But you see, just as they were looking for a redeemer from a certain family to help them in their time of need, we, are, we uh, up until the time that Jesus came, were looking for the Messiah, the redeemer, who would save this world. And he came, in Jesus Christ. Now, we, we weren't alive then. When I say we, I'm speaking collectively. But, um, but the Jewish people were looking for that, and some from Gentile nations who'd heard were looking for that. Uh, that's where the three wise men come in, or however many wise men there were. So um, they, they come because they hear about the Messiah. They're looking for this seed, this, this chosen one who would come to rule and to set up God's kingdom here on this world. This earth, Jesus is the seed, just so happens to be of the tribe of Judah. So here again, it's another way that Boaz is a picture of Jesus Christ. Now, as the seed, each generation of the Jewish people would be looking forward to that seed. And those who didn't believe in Jesus are still looking for it today. They're looking for the coming of the Messiah. Jesus came and fulfilled this uh, scripture, uh, this type, this picture, uh, when he came to be born of the Virgin Mary. We are talking in Sunday school this morning. In Luke chapter 3, he's a descendant of Judah through Mary. In Matthew chapter 1, he's a descendant of Judah through the kingly line of, of Solomon. But, uh, and through Joseph legally, okay, not physically, but legally. So, so uh, in both, both of Jesus' parents, isn't that something? Both of Jesus' parents, even though Joseph was kind of a stepdad, um, were of the tribe of Judah. So, Jesus fulfills this, and Jesus becomes that Messiah. And who better to deliver than the one who is the greatest deliverer? Uh, Jesus came to deliver from sin, and the power of sin as well as the penalty of sin. And so uh, he saves people through his grace. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus paid the price on the cross to deliver us from the penalty of sin. But he also delivers us from the power of sin. One of the uh, words for redemption in the New Testament uh, has the meaning of to loose from. Uh, whatever you're bound by, Jesus has come to loose you from it. Isn't that great? And, and he is the one who has the power to set you free from sin, to give you victory. How does he do that? He does, does that through the sending of his Holy Spirit. He does that through changing us on the inside. And as we walk and in, in step with the Holy Spirit and let him live through us, we can live that righteous life that God has called us to live. But Jesus is the seed. He's the one who who delivers us. One day, Jesus will come back. And as Messiah, he'll rule and reign. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. And uh, what a time that will be when he comes to rule and to reign, the, the promised seed. So, Jesus is that seed of prophecy. Again, you see that here in the book of Ruth. Looking forward to the time of Jesus coming. Uh, So, uh, how do you see uh, his greatness shown here? He's mighty, he's wealthy, he's the seed. Finally, he's our source. He's our source. There's some debate over what the word Boaz means. But... um, some people say it means fleet, and some some Hebrew words are like that. They could look back to this root or that root, depending on uh, uh, opinion, but uh, Boaz is the only person named Boaz in the Bible, uh, and uh, there's one other thing, though, that is named Boaz, and it's a pillar in the temple. Uh, I don't know if you remember the two pillars, Jacob and Boaz, but... Uh, Jacob meant he establishes. And, you know, you look at a pillar and you think of that something established, something strong. Uh, the word Boaz, uh, some believe, and I, I agree with them. I think, I think the, the pillar is one great argument for it because God uses that place two, two times in Scripture. And in one, it's a pillar in the temple saying, In him is strength. In him is strength. And, uh, and, and, too, you see this in Boaz, in him is strength. But, but you remember what the New Testament says about us? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. That's true of salvation, but it's also true in our daily walk with him. And sometimes I'll pray uh, in a time of temptation or something. I'll say, Lord, Holy Spirit. Help me to put on Christ, because if I'm in him, I'm walking with him. I'm walking in his power. He gives me the strength uh, to live. He's our source. Everything that we need, he is. It's in Christ. Jesus had those I am statements, and he goes through the book of John, and he says, "All." and I won't get into all those because we may talk about those uh, Next week, if the Lord, or the week after, if the Lord leads me. Uh, but, um, but Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. And the Pharisees knew what he was saying because they picked up stones to, to stone him, to kill him, believing that he'd spoken blasphemy. He was talking about the Old Testament name that God told Moses. He says, Tell them, I am that I am, uh, has sent you. Jesus is the great I Am. He is our source. Everything that we need is found in Him. And so uh, Boaz fits that to the T, doesn't he? Because you look in this chapter, as you read through this chapter, we didn't read it all tonight, but as you read through this chapter, what do you see? You see the supply of God coming from Boaz. In Christ, everything we have, everything we need is found in Him. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm to the fiercest drought and storm. I could go on. That's a great song. But, but that's, that's who Christ is. He's our everything. He's our everything. There's nothing that we can face in this life that he can't handle. He's our source. Um, when I, was, when I was in Texas, we got water in our gas tank. And uh, we were told, I had a, a friend who, uh, our, our music minister, worked at this uh, auto repair shop, and, and we were talking to them, and they, they fixed it for us and everything. But um, we were talking to him, and he said, Well, you need to try, if you see the, the fuel truck at one of these gas stations, he said, Don't buy your fuel there. <laughs> he said, Because that means they're low. And when they're low, sometimes there's water at the bottom of those tanks. And he said, you know, and he also told me to use that STP water removal stuff, you know. But anyway, I tell you all that to tell you this. These earthly gas tanks, they'll run dry. But Jesus is a source that will never run dry. What did Jesus tell the woman at the well? He said, This, he says, I'm I'm the water of life. To him that's thirsty, come to me and drink. And this water will be, will well up in you unto eternal life. It will never cease. It will continue to flow. It will co- Did you know there will never be a time in our lives. Where Jesus will, continue, will cease to be our supply. He says I will be with you. Always. Even until the end of the age. That supply will always be there. Um, I am the Alpha. And I am the Omega. That means he was there when it got started. When God said let there be light. Jesus was right there in the middle of it. And he'll be there when one day there's a new heaven and a new earth and eternity begins. Jesus will be there. He's the omega. He's from beginning to end. And that's the way his supply is. It never runs out. Just as he's eternal, just as he has all this power, he has all this supply, and you can't tap it all. We were talking about this morning where sin abounds, there did much more grace abound. Aren't you glad that you can't tap the grace of God He's the supply of our grace. When Jesus said it is finished, can I tell you something? This is good. This might get you on shouting ground. When Jesus said it is finished, every bit of grace that you and anyone else would ever need was supplied. And more. Where sin abounded, there did grace much more Abound. You can't get to the end of the supply of God's grace. Boy, I could I could camp there. That's good stuff right there. He is our source. What do you need? Do you think our Savior would be less compassionate than Boaz was? The Bible says we don't have a high priest who's not touched with the feeling of our infirmities. who was tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. He is touched by where we are. Boaz saw the need of Ruth. He asked about Ruth. He said, who's that lady out there working in the field? And they told him. And, uh, and, and he began to meet those needs. Our Savior cares for us that way. The Bible says that God has our hairs numbered. Uh, Isn't it wonderful that you look at Jesus and you look at his life and people that were in need, whoever they were, it didn't matter who they were, whenever they came to him, what did he do? He sought to meet the need. Even people that didn't want the need met. (laughs) Pharisees, they'd come to him. Jesus would say, you're a bunch of snakes. You need to repent and get right. And, uh, you know, they didn't want to hear it. They, they weren't interested in repentance. They weren't interested in getting their need met, you know. Bless me if you can. No. But they, 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 they weren't interested. But Jesus, in his love, supplied what they needed. They needed a rebuke. But he, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. You remember the little children coming to him? The disciples said, he's not got time for you. Jesus said, Peter... Zip it. And he brought them up in his lap and he blessed them. That's, that's his heart toward us. He's our source. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmity. Go to him with your needs. He's our source. How do we see the greatness of Jesus here? We see his mighty. He is mighty. He's wealthy. He is the seed. And he is our source. He is. Utterly and completely sufficient. He is high and lifted up. He has a name like no other name. He has power like no other power. Wisdom like no other wisdom. Resources like no other resources. He is the all in all. He's sufficient. Come to him for your need. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the encouragement that you give us. Thank you for giving us visual pictures in your word of what our Savior would be like. And then showing us he even exceeds those expectations. Lord, how can we find words adequate to describe the greatness of our Savior? Thank you for him. Thank you that you loved us enough to send him to us. Help us come to you, Jesus with our burdens, with our needs, with our heartaches.